Okay, so we we had begun last week doing some of the Ramams in the Mora on um, attributes, right? And um, in admissibility of attributes by Karish uh, Barhu and the certain certain mishalom that are appropriate and inappropriate, right? Certain things that that we say. Um, certainly we won't even say and the truth is you know the Ramam through the whole first book is really concentrating on the um, the words in the Torah and trying to show you how they have a um, a literal meaning and a non-literal meaning and uh, when they apply to uh, to Hashem they're applying in a non-literal meaning okay and um the preceding chapters over here to 26 discuss like the word shochen to dwell, right? Holach to go, yotza, ba, all of the terms that denote uh, motion, okay? Um, and he describes, he shows how they have also a, a uh, homonymical meaning, right? Meaning, um, something like like a borrowed like a borrowed meaning like a derived meaning right not not literally and now the Rambam in twenty six strangely in the middle of his explanation of words has a intervening chapter or two okay right in other words you see twenty five is shochen shochon and twenty nine he goes back. To um, what is that? Can you read it? Well, twenty-eight. Rego. Twenty-eight. Yeah, twenty-eight. He has. He goes back to. He goes to Rego. Right. So there's something that's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting thing. In the middle of this series, he interjects over here a um, two chapters. Now, the. Um, the Abarbanel on this Pirish on on, uh, on the Mora raises this question. He tries to he tries to deal with this question. So maybe we'll we'll discuss it at all. But let's just see what he says over here on twenty six, okay? Because it directly addresses something we were talking about last week. He says, "You no doubt know the Talmudical saying, which includes in itself all the various kinds of interpretation connected with our subject." Okay, so everybody knows this famous statement of Hazal. It runs thus. The Torah speaks according to the language of man. Right? Famous dictum. That is to say, expressions which can easily be comprehended and understood by all are applied to the creator. Okay? Hence the description of God by attributes implying corporeality in order to express his existence. Okay, so in other words, you have many expressions in Torah that taken literally would be uh, inadmissible, right? And, the, and yet the Torah uses them. So that's, that's, the, that's the statement. The Torah speaks in the language of man, right? Um, and those words, you know, of necessity are going to be technically or, or literally inappropriate. Okay, we'll have to discuss the reason for that. But um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the statement. So what's interesting is, Barbanel's question is, 
if that's if that statement is if if we have this rule and this statement, so what does Ram need to spend all these all this time on the previous program explaining how every word is not you know applies to God in in, in a way that's not the literal? <laughs> yeah, why does he go through the details of each of each case and then comes back to it on regal? Just say no other thing about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I guess it's one thing to say that uh, this isn't literal, and it's another thing to show right. what it should, what it actually does mean. Because people, I guess, the negative right. of saying this isn't something right. versus the positive of saying this is what it should be. Right. Well, let's take let's take an example. Let's take the last case here. Thing is, Sha- it's not really Sha- Right. Let's just see one example. Let's see. In twenty twenty five, right? It says the Hebrew word shachon, as is well known, signifies to dwell, and he was dwelling in the plains of Mamre. Abraham. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt, right? Bishchon. Uh, that is to say, that is the most common meaning of the word. But dwelling in a place consists in the continued stay in a place, general or special. So when we say that someone is shochin somewhere, right? <clears throat> that means dwelling. <clears throat> and dwelling means the, like a continuity, right? You're staying in one place. Um, when a living being dwells long in a place, we say that it stays in that place, although it unquestionably moves about in it. Okay. So it doesn't mean to be frozen, right? But it means to say there's a certain continuity in the general place, in a place, general or special, right? So he was shochen be elone mamre, but he had he was moving around the whole time from place to place, but within that region, so he's showing he's staying in that spot. The term was next. No, as he wants to show you that there's a little bit of a leeway. It doesn't mean just fixed in one position. The term was next applied metaphorically to inanimate objects, to everything which has settled and remains fixed on one object, although the object on which the thing remains is not a place, and the thing itself is not a living being. Right, so technically, shofei means I have the ability to dwell wherever I want, and now I'm limiting that motion to one spot, to one area, to one region. So I'm shofei in this area, <clears throat> but it implies some act of will, right? Some limiting uh, relationship. He says, but then it became metaphorically applied to an inanimate object um, that remains fixed on one on one object, right? Although the object on which the thing remains is not a place, and the thing itself is not a living being. For instance, let a cloud dwell upon it, the day. There is no doubt that the cloud is not a living being, and that the day is not a corporeal thing, but a division of time. So you can say the cloud will dwell upon the day. So that's a figurative expression. The cloud is not dwelling, and the day is not a place, but you can use that expression. It's a little bit uh, difficult. What's the well? That's from Eo, right? Right. Nothing in Eo. What does it mean that it's a bad day? Because like in, in in this sense, the term is employed in reference to God. That is to say, to denote the continuance of His divine presence, Shrina, or of His providence in some place where the divine presence manif- manifested itself constantly, or in some object which was constantly protected by providence. And the glory of the Lord abode, and I, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, right? It's not a place. And for the goodwill of him that dwell, dwelt in the bush, right? Shochni, 
Whenever the term is applied to the Almighty, it must be taken consistently with the context in the sense either as referring to the presence of his shechina, i.e. of his light, okay, that's the question, what it means, in a certain place, or of the continuance of his providence protecting a certain object. So again, so he's saying the word literally, shochein, as it's, like it's, it's, its original form, is talking about a person who limits his, uh, the region of his living to a, uh, to, a, to a location, right? Then it can be applied metaphorically, to an inanimate object, and even in reference to something that's not an object, shochein on this day, meaning it comes into existence and 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 and, and uh, is uh, is manifest during a duration, right? And then he goes out and then he says, and when we talk about Hashem being shochein, it's it, it means to say it takes part of that meaning of a continuance of his divine presence, right? Or his providence in some place where the divine presence manifests itself. So in other words, when we say the word shochein, we don't mean it literally by God. When we say that God is shochein, we don't mean it in the same way we mean it by a man. We don't mean it like Avram was shochein the name Amri, right? We don't mean that Avram shochein the name Amri means physically his, his... his body was limited to a certain location. No, no one, but when we talk about Hashem, it's like when Baruch, we use the term Shochein, right? The Ram's whole point over here is not to interpret it in that literal kind of a way. The Pasuk doesn't even, doesn't mean it in that literal sense, right? It's a metaphorical use of the word, right? Meaning to say that, that the Hashkochas Hashem is manifest in the Jewish people. So in a metaphorical way, his hashkocha is shochein b'yisrael. You know, so the shechina is, is b'yisrael, correct? So the point is <clears throat> that that's what the Rambam is doing in these prophets. He's trying to show you that these words have a metaphorical sense. And in that metaphorical sense, they're uh, applied to, uh, to God, okay? So now it's interesting. Now it's like he's coming back and sounds like he's coming back with like a different answer. That, that everything is Loshon B'nei Adam, right? The Torah speaks B'loshon B'nei Adam. So what is he trying to add over here? That's part of the Barbano's question. So let's see what he means. He says, hence the description of God by attributes implying corporeality in order to express his existence because the multitude of people do not easily conceive existence unless in connection with a body. And that which is not a body, nor connected with the body, has for them no existence. Whatever we regard as a state of perfection is likewise likewise attributed to God, as expressing that he is perfect in every respect, and that no imperfection or deficiency whatever is found in him. So, so this is what we were discussing last week, that he says there are descriptions of God that might imply corporeality, right? Yad Hashem um, or Kisei uh, Kavo, you know, Tachas Raglov. You have expressions in the Torah that imply corporeality. So he's explaining why are those terms used? So he says, for that, we need the rule 
But why is the Torah using these terms? Right? So he says, it's interesting that he puts it, expressions which can easily be comprehended and understood by all. You have the, um, I, I know you guys like this, Inyano, Shekol Mashe Efsha, Lechol Bnei Adam Lahavino Ulahaskilo Bimachshava Rishona. Who Asher Nasa Roy Kalpi Hashem Yisala? So, what does it mean, Dibbatar Kalashem Adam? He says, it means to say that which any person is Efsha Lechol Bnei Adam, that which any person can understand. With machshava rishon, in other words, with no no depth, just on the superficial meaning of the word, that's the proper word to use by God. In other words, who is the audience? It's the who. How is the Torah meant to be read in a certain in a certain level? He's saying, on its simplest meaning, and therefore things that in their simple meaning, portray a good idea about God, uh, those terms are employed. Now, of course, this is going to create big problems. But let's see where he's going with this. So he says, hold on. He says, hence, the description of God by attributes implying corporeality. So why is that good? He imply, he's implying that he's saying that we should use to the Torah by design is using terms that express um, meaning that have that have a very an open uh, you know uh, uh, obvious meaning. Um, so why do we use those the terms that express physicality? He says lahoros right? It's to express it's to, to show that he exists because the person who understands words in their simplest meaning only understands existence that that comes from some physicality. So if you want to express to a person who understands, who's not a deep ma'ayin, right, and is just going by the simple idea, the simple word, I know it sounds like it's going to be a big problem. They're saying, you want to teach him that God exists, you have to use a term that implies physicality. Because physicality to him means, because existence to him is tied with physical. It's an amazing, it's an amazing statement, right? He says, the, the multitude of people do not easily conceive existence unless in connection with a body. And that which is not a body, nor connected with the body, has for them no existence. Whatever we regard, and there's like this, whatever we regard as a state of perfection is likewise attributed to God as expressing that he is perfect in every respect and that no imperfection or deficiency, whatever, is found in him. So again, though, we're going to use terms. He says, terms that the average person, or that are universally accepted. This is what you were asking me about last week, right? Terms that are are universally accepted on their sort of uh, surface or face value as positive, as, as perfections to man, are going to be employed with regards to God, because that's the principle of Dibra Torah Kloshmeim. It means to say that the Torah is going to use terminology that conveys perfection of God to a person who understands the simple meaning.
Now, yeah, I know you're all thinking, but the simple meaning is fear too, right? <laughs> That's a little bit of a problem. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It doesn't mean the literal, right? It's, you still have to say, there still is some machshava going on. <laughs> there is a little bit of but it's taking like the first implication. I guess that's the way we put it. As the literal meaning would, would mean physical, right? But the first implication is existence, right? That's a good point, Orange Bay. Now, it's not, the, it's not trying to convey the literal meaning. That's the problem. The literal meaning is wrong. But how do you convey existence to someone who doesn't really, is not really a big, uh, who, who's not a big philosopher? How do you convey so you have to speak in his terms. And in his terms, existence is only known to him through a marshal, at least, of physicality. So you have to speak to him in those terms and say, God exists. How do we convey to him God exists? You can't convey to him a non-physical existence. That's too deep. It's too hard to, to convey. So we use hints. We use terminology that has an implication of physicality. To, to sort of, uh, to sort of, sort of uh, make the uh, the implication of the physicality uh, real to him, meaning existence, right? It's a, it's a delicate balance. He says the chain cold and everything that we consider to be a perfection, right? Cold davar shu shleimus etzleinu yuchas lo We attribute to him. Lahoros Allah to demonstrate about him that he's perfect in every in every way of perfection. And there's no there's no chisar at all. So maybe he's saying a little differently than we were saying last week, but uh, than we thought he was saying last week. But maybe I don't know, I think it did. But now he seems to be saying like this. We want to convey, and in a certain sense, we want to convey to the to, to the to the reader that God is perfect. So how do we convey perfection? Well, we have to use we have to use ideas that can, that bring to mind perfection to us, and then we'll apply those those conclusions, so to speak, to God. So, just like just like if you were to think something is physical, you would you would conclude it exists. We're saying about God, conclude He exists. Just like if a descri- certain descriptions vis-a-vis uh, man, you would say demonstrate a perfection, those terms are used to convey the conclusion of perfection. You understand? That's the, that's the means. That's the, I mean, language is a means of communication. So we're trying to communicate certain conclusions. And we're using the tool of, of Lashem B'nai Adam. And in Lashem B'nai Adam, physical is, is, exists. And all these other terms that we're not mentioning now are perfections. So I want to convey that conclusion. I use the words that are associated with those ideas to the average person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so first of all, we said, at least we've got one thing clear, right? The, the literal meaning is not the meaning, right? But it is an example of the, of the, of the conclusion that we're trying to, or it's a, it's a way of bringing to mind the conclusion that's proper to, um, to uh, the idea that's proper to apply to God. And he says, and therefore he says, 
Um, there is not attributed to God anything which the multitude consider a defect or want. Thus, he's never represented as eating, drinking, sleeping, being ill, using violence, and the like. Whatever, on the other hand, is commonly regarded as a state of perfection is attributed to him. Although it is only a state of perfection in relation to ourselves, right? For, the, for in relation to God, what we consider to be a state of perfection is in truth the highest degree of imperfection, right? If, however, men were to think that those human perfections were absent in God, they would consider him as imperfect. So it's a bit of a, it's like an impossible problem, right? And this is like what, the, what I told you that the Kuzari mentions, you know, in the Ruda uh, Levi mentions, you know, he says, if a person were to ask you if God is uh, is alive, is alive, and you would say he's not, then the person would think he's dead. <laughs> you, know, you can't explain to the average person, no, life is too, uh, you know, with regards to God, life is not really a is, is an imperfection. Is beyond. It's that's already like a you know like a whole parsha and uh, requires a certain. Uh, preparation, whatever it is, that's not that's not the right way to uh, to introduce. Uh, yeah, you have to start a person off with with a certain amount of basic conclusions, and then he can he can uh, if he's if he's capable, he can go deeper. And this is what the Ram is discussing: the sort of like how we can take a person. We can go into further, but but that's what he's saying. He's saying it's not accurate, like David is saying. Those perfections are really limited and limiting and really ultimately consider an imperfection in reality towards God. But we have to give the person who's not ready to see the, the ideas for themselves, we have to communicate to him on his level, perfection, right? Existence, perfection. And to say, well, since it's not 100% accurate, we'll withhold it from him, then he's going to think God is lacking those perfections. So you have no choice but to deal with the person on his level, right? You have no choice but to deal with the person on his level. And since he is on his level, he's either going to have a positive feeling towards God. You're either going to give him some approach to God's perfection, or he's going to take the conclusion, uh, or he's going to take a, a, a conclusion that's going to remove him. He's, it's just a question of like, what will bring him towards greater reality and we'll be taking them further away from reality right to think to think that god has perfections and not really think into the why what he's what he's calling perfections are themselves limiting is a greater is at least closer to the truth than for somebody to think that god doesn't have perfections because in his framework that's the only choice either god has perfections or doesn't either god has the perfections that he thinks of or, he, or he's absent these perfections. He's not ready for the truth, right? So it's a question of what is going to, which mistake is worse? Which mistake is worse at this point? And definitely, Ram is saying, to leave him in the situation where he believes that God is imperfect is worse than for him to have the conclusion that God is perfect and not yet really think into the depths of that even my idea of perfection is limiting. Wow. Now, now the Ram continues. Now the Ram continues. And this is something that, that uh, Barbara Noam makes a point of. He's shifting now. Up till now, he's been talking about 
the fact that we have to use terms, right, that are perfections for man, but, but deficiencies for God. Okay. Now he's like this. He's like this. And that seems to be his debitor Now he's like this. You are aware that locomotion is one of the distinguishing characteristics of living beings and is indispensable for them in their progress towards perfection. Right? Can't move away or towards things, then you can't uh, grow. You can't achieve perfection. As they require food and drink to supply animal uh, waste, so they require locomotion. I'm not sure what that means. Okay. In order to approach that which is good for them and in harmony with their nature. Right? What do you guys have? Emotion. As they require. What do you have here? As they require food and drink. Yeah. Oh, to replace that which is dissolved? Yeah. Okay, that's a better translation. I'll concede that point. So they require locomotion in order to approach that which is good for them and in harmony with their nature and to escape from what is injurious and contrary to their nature. So certainly when we talk about an animal who we would say he's just stuck <laughs> wherever he is, he can't go towards what he needs or away from what's harming him we would think that animal is deficient. We have a deficiency because it can't actualize any of its uh, you know, faculties. It can't, it, can't, it can't preserve its life and it can't, uh, can't uh, you know, uh, get what it needs. It, it makes, in fact, no difference whether we ascribe um, to God eating and drinking or locomotion. So his point is like this, that in reality, he's going back to what Dove was saying, in reality, all of the prakam, this is what the environmental mentions. The prakam that precede this are all talking about locomotion, right? Mainly uh, coming and going and walking and passing and sitting and all that stuff, right? And the Ramam is saying in the, in the beginning of this chapter that we apply to God things that imply perfections to us and we'll never, imply, we'll never apply to God things that imply imperfections. He says, but if you really think about it, um, and, and therefore, we don't say God eats or drinks, right? But we do say God moves. We say, uh, you know, yea, red, and all, all of those terms. So he says, it makes, in fact, no difference whether we ascribe to God eating and drinking or locomotion. In truth, all of those things are, are a deficiency, right? Because it implies needs and, uh, you know, and, 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 and wants and, and harms and things like that. Uh, but according to human modes of expression, that is to say, according to common notions, eating and drinking would be an imperfection in God, while motion would not, in spite of the fact that the necessity of locomotion is the result of some want. So we think of an animal that can't move as deficient because he has wants and he can't satisfy them. So he's in a he's in a bad it's a bad that's a bad uh, existence it's a bad situation that's an imperfection, right? He says so when you think about it the need for moving is predicated on a, a desire or a want and and having a desire or a want and the need to be fulfilled is a deficiency. So really philosophically, the idea of motion is just as inappropriate regarding God as eating and drinking. And we just said we won't say God eats and drinks because that portrays a deficiency. But we have no problem saying locomotion, in terms of locomotion, 
says, but when you think about it in reality, locomotion also implies some kind of a, uh, a defect because there's a need, right? So he says, so how come we'll ascribe uh, motion to God, by, you know, uh, and, uh, and all those terms, but not eating and drinking? So he says a phenomenal answer. He says, he says, because, what? According to common notions, right? Eating and drinking would be an imperfection to, in God, while motion would not. Meaning, meaning we, vis-a-vis ourselves in a certain sense, I mean, in a common notion, think we recognize the need to eat and drink as a deficiency. The fact that I can't, go without you know water for five days you can't go without food for uh, for a certain amount of time that's a limiting that's a limit i think we think of that as a weakness right i mean man only has a certain amount of uh, strength uh, because he's he's limited by his need to replenish his nourishment so that we recognize as a deficiency but we don't think in common notions as uh, the idea of moving as a deficiency. Philosophically, it's true. But in common notions, it's not. And what's the rule? Divrei Torah, Kiloshon B'nei Adam, not Kiloshon of philosophers. It's like a car. The fact that a car needs to stop to get gas all the time is a deficiency in the car. That's right. The more miles you get per gallon, the better. Just because you have to plug it in doesn't make it any better. Right. But going in the car, on the contrary, that's a perfection of the car that it's right. able to go. Right. In Lashem B'nai Adam. So, so he's sticking to his idea that Lashem B'nai Adam is not a philosophical, right? That's, that's the basic idea. It's not a philosophical uh, perfection. It's not a philosophical, it's not, there's a, there's a non-philosophical common sense average man estimation of per- terms of perfection and terms of, of imperfection and in that framework that's the, what the maxim is telling you the maxim is telling you a, a phenomenal thing going on that that the torah is not speaking even though the torah is not speaking in philosophically absolutely true terms none, no term is absolutely philosophically true nonetheless in the framework of common man there are those that are that represent perfections and those that don't. Now, philosophically, all terms are wrong, right? Philosophically, all terms are wrong. But in the Lashem B'nai Adam, there are those that we deem, we relate to in, by ways of perfection and those that we relate to by way, as imperfections. And the Torah will use that calculus, that barometer. You understand? You know, it's not so much a, 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 a concession to Lashem. In other words, it's telling you it's 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 actually giving you um, it's giving you the it's giving you the rule and it's telling you that um, that it's not and it's not just opening up the door to anything. That's what we're trying to show you. Lashem is not just is not admitting to anything. It's admitting to those ideas that in Lashem B'nei Adam are perfections. <clears throat> it's an interesting point. I think you're making. I think you're making an important. I think you're yeah. making a point of here. In other words, you know, there's a Ram over here. If you look over it again, Simon's making a good point. Right in the beginning, he said like this: "You are aware that locomotion is one of the distinguishing characteristics of human beings." Right, in the in the Hebrew, it says, "He mishlemus achai." 
See, it's a, it's a subtle, there's a subtle shift in the Rambam's terminology now, right? Because in the beginning of the chapter, he says, whatever we consider perfection for us, we apply to God. Correct? Is that what you're picking up on? Possibly. Possibly, right? He's, he's in the saying beginning, like it's a positive said, thing, the eating and drinking. But he doesn't the say that right, In the beginning, he says that what do we apply to God? He says, Kol masha ha'amon meven shu. Right? We won't apply to God anything that man we, we, uh, thinks about as a. He says, Kol Dover Shehu Shlemus Etzlenu. Right? Isn't that a little bit of a contradiction? First, he says, in the beginning of the chapter, anything that is perfection to us, Yuchas Lo Yisava. We apply to him. Right? To demonstrate that he is perfect in all manners of perfection. Yeah. Now he says a man thinks vis-a-vis himself that moving is a perfection and just like eating is. Right? Well, the man himself. thinks that? Yeah, vis-a-vis himself. I mean, he says eating and drink, but what's what, 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 what? Vis-a-vis himself. Doesn't say, Ratayodeya. Yeah. 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 Well, let's think, let's look at it carefully. In reality, motion is a shlemusachai and necessary for his perfection. Just like he needs to eat and drink, mm-hmm. so they're 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 equivalent, yeah. right? Yeah. In order to attain, uh, in order to replace what he's lost, he also needs to move to to get what he what is good for him, and to and to avoid what's bad for him. So eating, drinking, and moving are all in the same thing. They're all like replacement or attaining what is necessary. Ve'ain hevdel. Now, what does he mean by that line? As far as perfection is concerned, there's no difference between uh, somebody who, somebody is... is right, in other words, the perfection or the imperfection in, in man, in the perfection or the imperfection is the same, whether you're discussing motion or eating. They both are, in reality, necessary for man, and in reality, an imperfection for God, right? So why is it that that if the in if, if to man they're both equally necessary and they're both perfections, why is it that we only apply motion to God and not eating and drinking? So that's why, right? So that's why he has to say like this. Mm-hmm. He says, "Ella shelafi loshon bnei adam kloma." That's the rule. Dibratarin ki loshon bnei adam in the loshon bnei adam. Now, what does the Lashon Be'ada mean? This goes yeah. back to Orange Point. It's not the literal words, right? It's Hadimyon Hamoni. In other words, what kind of an image does it conjure? What kind of an association does it conjure in the mind? Although metaphysically, philosophically, there's no difference between the need to eat and the need to move. But in the mind of the Hamon, the need to eat is considered a deficiency. That's just the way it is. Right? Yeah, and it's like going to the bathroom. That's right. Ha'achil etzlam, would be a deficiency in God. You see what he says? He doesn't, say, he doesn't think it's a deficiency in man. He says, he says, ha'achil etzlam, migra'as kal Hashem. And the tenua, ena migra'as kal pav. So it right. sounds like he's now a little bit different. Because first he says, whatever we look at for ourselves. Now he's kind of like jumping. He's saying, when they, toward, vis-a-vis God, they view it as deficiency. But that must mean vis-a-vis ourselves, no? <laughs> right, that if we would project onto the perfect being, 
right. vis-a-vis ourselves from coming from a, our own framework, right. then it would be considered a deficiency for it to, to say that God has to eat. That's right. But not, but we don't feel that way about motion, even though he says, So just like eating is because of a tzorach, and moving is also because of a tzorach, in the hamon, in the mind of, the, of man, he, he associates the need to eat as a deficiency, not the same way with the need to move. And it's interesting. And it's not logical. It's not right. philosophical. But it's the lashon b'nei adam. And I guess on top of that, also, like we said before, that the inability to move we view as a negative thing. That's correct. So if we were to say that God doesn't move, right, then we that's would right. say that's a negative thing. We'd say he's paralyzed. Right, right, right. And I would right. say, oh, he must be like a, you know, he's, he's, a he's disability. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Like God's Superman. It sounds exactly. like I mean that the Hamon it's it's this God is imagined as a Superman and Superman has to have superhuman powers but not things that make people weak. Can uh, we unpack? But again, we're not we're still not trying to project a, the idea of actually a Superman, but we're trying to project whatever we associate with whatever we associate with perfections. We're trying to associate. We're trying to ascribe to God. And we have a certain common sense of, of perfections. And within the realm of the common sense, the need to eat is not considered the perfection. Because, because I think it's like we were discussing last week, right? The motion is directed by the mind. And it's achieving and gaining what the mind receives as the good. Whereas eating is just a necessity, just a maintenance, right? Like you can't, you can't. Even if you're not doing anything, you have to eat. You're not pursuing any good by eating. It's just giving you power to pursue a good. So it just represents your lack of power. Essentially, it's your lack of power. No, no, no. Don't, don't, but can't, but can't, because now that's philosophical. Mm-hmm. It's not a philosophical This view. is not philosophical. It's not a philosophical point. Just, 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 just talk to me like I'm an average guy. But... <laughs> Within that, can we define what that distinction is in the mind of? As in the mind of the Hamon, if I want something and I can't move towards it, as locomotion in the, in the minds of man is basically actualizing desire, actualizing desire um, for an external uh, actualizing desire. And it was taking an idea in your mind and uh, actualizing it. So um, if I can't move, then I'm powerless to fulfill my desire. But, the, but, but food, the necessity for food, it, the food itself is not, does not accomplish anything. It just allows me to, to continue. If I didn't need to eat, right? Well, I shouldn't put it that way. But uh, man, man looks at, at, at having to eat as stopping doing what you want to do in order to take care of your strength. I have to take care of my body in order to do what I want to do. We're not talking about the pleasure of eating. That's not what we're discussing over here. <laughs> we're discussing your, your, your control over things, right? The guy wants to be, it's like I was just reading about, uh, about Newton. You know, he, he forget to eat. He was so engrossed in his work, he would forget to eat. Until the apple hit him on that. Exactly. <laughs> and then, so, so the, the, the need to eat was taking him away from his ability to, to engage in what, is, uh, what, what he considered to be important. So it's a deficiency. It's a deficiency. You've got to stop and eat, right? 
but you know he doesn't think about the 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 need to move his hand uh, as a deficiency you know that he looks at uh, oh i can probe the uh, i can do experiments uh, because i can move that's great mm-hmm. right so that is so to speak the motion is synonymous with the accomplishment of of his of his uh, desire whereas the eating is putting his desire on hold right we're still talking about not a glutton, of course. You know, not a person. Isn't he ratzon at sarach? Isn't it something this between expressions of ratzon versus me? Right. right? Desire, will versus. I'll, I don't want to. I don't want this point, Yaakov. Let's go a little further here. So he says. He says now. Furthermore, right? It has been clearly proven that everything which moves is corporeal and divisible. Right. It will now, it will be shown below that God's, God is incorporeal and that he has, can have no locomotion. So now he's saying we use the term, first saying, look, we use the term because it has some connotation of perfection to Lashem B'nai Adam. But in reality, it really is, is, is wrong because that's only a, an accident. Motion is an accident of the physical body. But God has no physicality. Nor can he be, nor can rest be ascribed to him, for rest can only be applied to that which moves. Also, expressions, however, which imply the various modes of movement of living beings are employed with regards to God in the manner which we have described and in the same way as life is ascribed to him. Okay. Although motion is an accident pertaining to living beings, and there is no doubt that without corporeality, Expressions like the following could not be imagined to descend, to ascend, to walk, to place, to stand, right? So basically saying, as we coming back to say, that all of these terms, in truth, even the ones that are appropriate and that we, that we use because they convey a certain notion of perfection, in reality, they're not, um, they're not accurate. And in reality, they're only Lashem uh, B'nei and in, and, and in reality, the perfection that they actually por- portray is an imperfection vis-a-vis God, because it, it's based on a, on a certain idea of, of uh, the only necessary was physicality. Let, let me just do a little bit more. He says, it would have been superfluous thus to dilate on this subject were it not for the mass of the people who are accustomed to such ideas. Okay, so, so that's the only reason why we have to... Um, to discuss this, he says, It's unnecessary to go into this any longer. Okay. Uh, so he says, It has been necessary, uh, yeah, as we have attempted for the benefit of those who are anxious to acquire perfection to remove from them such notions as, as have grown up with them from the days of youth. So he says it's obvious, all of these things, that they're not uh, literal, uh, because they all pertain to physicality. Now, I just want to, I'm just going to skip, and we'll, we'll, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll come back and go in order, but what really brought me here was, I mentioned last week, that the Rambam addresses the, the critique of the Ravid to his... Um, condemnation of certain people uh, in uh, Hilchus Tshuva for, for a mistaken belief in, physic- in God's physicality, right? We're all familiar with that. 
the Ramam in, uh, in Hilchus Tshuva, in the third paragraph, I believe, lists, gives his list of who's a min, who's not because, all these things, right? And basically says anyone who believes in, the phys- in God being physical is, uh, is a min. And the Ravid says, how could you say such a thing? Okay, people argue about the exact translation of what the Ravid said, but basically they were big chachamim, big pe- people who, who were very knowledgeable in Torah, and they believed those things because they were misled, he says, by the plain meaning of psukim. And I'm not sure if he mentions the psukim, but he mentions definitely the chazal in uh, that a meshabesh as a, as a deus, right? There are a lot of agaditas that are in, the, in, their, in their literal meaning would imply, uh, you know, gashmis. So, so the Ravid basically doesn't, of course, anyone who thinks the Ravid is arguing on the Rambam in terms of what a min is, 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 is a fool. He's only saying that the guy's not to blame because he was misled by his um, own um, desire to follow Chazal. So how could you blame, how could, how could you condemn him? How could God condemn such a man? It's like uh, the Sefer Karm discusses if a person is studying the Ikarim and he makes a mistake, uh, in reality, he's wrong. Would that, would that, would that turn him into an Apikaris? If he's really trying and he just made a mistake, right? So, so the writer's argument is similar to that. He said, look, the guy is a from Jew and he believes this because he read it in the Gemara. I don't remember if he mentioned the Psukim, but or maybe read it in the Psukim. And he says, look, I want to believe what the Torah tells me to believe. This is what they're telling me to believe. So he says, how could you condemn such a man? Rama. Right? So listen to what the Ram says in, um, in the end of chapter 36. Yeah. The end of chapter 36. It says, last, last paragraph. Therefore, he says, that would be XXX the I. Okay. Therefore, bear in mind that by the belief in the corporeality or in anything connected with corporeality, you would provoke God to jealousy and wrath. This is the chapter where he discusses what Haran Af is and, and what it means that God gets angry. Right? Kindle his fire and anger, become his foe, his enemy, and his adversary in a higher degree than by the worship of idols. Oh boy, that's a toughie, huh? To believe, because he 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 goes through in this paragraph in this chapter a very interesting idea about how he, very interesting chapter how he discusses the the harm of avodazar, and he says it's only it's it's mainly in in many forms it's just misleads a person right away from God. But if you actually have the wrong idea of God to begin with, he says that's even worse. Okay, as a guy believes in God but he thinks he can serve an idol to get to God. He says, okay, that's terrible. But if the guy thinks God is physical, he, 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 that's even more, prim, more primary uh, mistake, right? Anyway, he says, if you think that there is an excuse for those who believe in the corporeality of God on the ground of their training, their ignorance or their defective comprehension, you must make the same concession to the worshipers of idols. So he says, first of all, we're going to say it's not their fault because that's how they were raised or that's just their circumstances. Then we have to say, okay, idolaters too, we have to give them a break. Same concession. 
Well, it's different, but he's saying, who, who are you going to, if you're going to say anyone who makes these, anyone who comes to this belief, not Lahachis, but he's, he's just mistaken, right? In other words, in other words, basically, you've got to let, you've got to, you've got to say either to the writer, you got to, like, like the writer's claim. So the writer's saying, you can't blame this guy because he just thinks he's doing the right thing. Okay, so then the Christians also think they're doing the right thing. Right? So he says, uh, their worship is due to ignorance or to early training. They continue in the custom of their fathers, right? That's uh, right. He says, you will perhaps say that the literal interpretation of the Bible causes men to fall into that doubt. But you must know that idolaters were likewise brought to their belief by false imagination and ideas. So you say, no, but it was the psukim that fooled this guy. Okay, well, everybody knows anything you say about a firm person that you want to save from this bad din, by saying he was fooled, he made a mistake. He, you can say the same exact thing about a Christian. And you don't see these Jewish guys running around trying to be the golden Christians. <laughs> he's, not, he's not saying you shouldn't do both at this point. But he's saying you can't, you can't choose the Jew and not the Christian. You use all the same arguments for, 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 the, for one would apply to the other. Yeah. This reputation of the Ramam to the Ravah, I would think that the Ravah would have known that this was coming. Like it seems like not such a deep like a well, the rabbi is saying, in terms of ikarim, he has the ikar, he has all the ikarim. In terms of this belief, it stems from his belief in the other ikarim, right? Of God and Torah and, uh, and Moshe and all of those other things. And he thinks he's following that. But the Ram's expanding it. He's saying, he's saying yeah, but, but why don't these people believe in the ikarim? Because they think that they're doing the right thing too. They, think, uh, they also think that God is telling them to do this. But let's see, so like this. What was that? But the Ram's, the Ram's, that's just his, his, his setup. That's, uh, he's like this. He's going, that's kind of, that's a little bit of, of the straw man, you could say. He's saying, if you're going to yeah. say excuse, say excuses for everybody, right? But in reality, he says, there is no excuse whatever for those who, being unable to think for themselves, do not accept the doctrine of the incorporeality of God from the true philosophers. So he says, look, you can't tell me your excuse is that you are not smart enough and you made a, and, and therefore you're ignorant and you made a mistake. If you're ignorant, you have to go to authority. Okay. I do not consider those men as infidels who are unable to prove the incorporeality, but I hold those to be so who do not believe it, especially when they say that Unculus and Yonasan Ben Uziel avoid in reference to God expressions implying corporeality as much as possible. This is all I intend to say in this chapter. So in other words, he comes around and he's saying to the original question, how does the Torah use these terms? And why doesn't it, and why aren't we, and why don't we say a guy who reads these things and takes the literal interpretation is not his fault, right? Because Torah is different Torah blush and they are not. And 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 in and in the and in the lashon of literal interpretation, a person could make a mistake. So, the Rambam's answer is, and this is kind of like the uh, what he's what he kind of discusses in intervening chapters, is that Onkelos happens to be the next chapter he goes through mm-hmm. to show you 
how Unkelis on every Pasuk makes an effort to take away any idea of Gashmias. Whenever it says that God heard, he says, it was, means it was known to him. And, uh, and, and it was misgallowed, you know, and he always used the term of kavod and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, those, you know, those types of terms to remove the implication of the physicality of the word. So therefore, the Ram is saying, if you're, on the, if you're the type of person of, of Dibra Torah, Klosh Adam, so you have an obligation, you have at least this obligation that you cannot be excused. Recognize that you're not a chacham and seek the, author- the proper authority. And Unkelos is the authority on the interpretation of Torah. And you have no right to say, I'm not a philosopher, um, but I'm just going to ignore, I'm just going to, I'm just going to use my own best guess at what the Torah means, and I'm not going to look at what Uncle says. Then, then you're to blame because you're, because that's a distortion. One thing to say, I can't prove the incorporeality of God. This is an amazing statement. Says, the guy says, I can't prove it. He's fine. That's not a, he doesn't think he's, he's not a, it's not a cover, right? But because he believes it, as long as he has in his mind this, this uh, icker, that's fine. But if a guy says that um, he doesn't, uh, I do not consider those men as infidels who are unable to prove it, but I hold those to, to, to be so who do not believe it. When Uncleus is right there. It's interesting thing to think about. When Uncleus is right there. And that apparently is, would be some kind of a retort to, to the writer. That you don't have a right to go into agatitas and esoteric things that you don't understand and nobody, uh, and you can't claim and claim, claim this kind of advanced knowledge when, when we have the Ikarim and Unkelis right there that's telling you those ideas are that, that, is, that on the spot, Al-Asar is negating those uh, conclusions. So Ram is very, you know, in the whole, in the whole, in, in, in these chapters, it's interesting. So this is where he discusses like the dangers of going into metaphysics before you're ready. And, and, and every person has an obligation to recognize his, his, his ability and his limit and say, this is not my area. I'm going to look at the authority. But if you, if you decide, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to make my own conclusions, even though you're not ready, then, then he holds it to your fault. And if you're going to certainly, and if you're going to leave Masora and just uh, make a, you know, take your own conclusions, that then you definitely uh, call them those. Otherwise, otherwise, no one's called because you can always find a reason why a guy did something. You can always, you know, say uh, there's some mistake, right? Chazal uh, say every every chait has a certain amount of shlus, you know. So <laughs> you can't say a guy's uh, off the hook because, he, because he's doing it by mistake. Uh, almost by definition, a chait is a mistake. So you have to at least have this idea that we're that you have to at least know you're fallible and recognize that, and if and therefore rely on authority when you're not capable of going deeper yourself. And if that you choose to ignore, that you're liable to. And then everything becomes rational. Okay, so I think it's good to go through some of the intervening chapters of it. I'm not sure how much you want to do, but uh, yeah. I mean, that if you are capable of, no, you are capable, but you still mess up. Ah, so that's, what that's, the, safety, that's, that's the safety requirements question. If a guy is a capable, like, 
if he's a really uh, capable person and he and he makes a mistake, so he wants to say he's not he's not liable. That's the, the famous uh, case in the Gemara where there was an Amor, his name was Hillel, who said that the Mashiach is not coming anymore, and no one called him not the doors. Because he held the Mashiach, he had it that Chizkiyo uh, was, was, was the Mashiach, and he blew it, and that's the end of it. And um, nobody condemned him. They, 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 they obviously all rejected him, but uh, they didn't kick him out of the base marriage. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a mistake. We all considered it a mistake, but it was, it was an honestly motivated, like a, like a machlokas, uh, like a chachamim's machlokas mistake. Now, you know, you want to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself on that, on that level so quickly on these things. So, uh, probably be safer for, for us to rely on authority. But, uh, conceptually, theoretically, he's saying yes, it's a possibility. Okay.